Howdy. My name's Jake. I'm from Matthews, North Carolina, also known as God's Country, for those of you who don't know. I was a student at Davidson College. I've been attending Lake Forest since then. And somehow, by, by God's grace, I'm still here in the Lake Norman area. But guys, uh, if I'm honest with y'all, me standing here is kind of weird for me. Uh, all of you guys here and at home, uh, if it were up to me and if I controlled my life, I wouldn't be here or anywhere near a church. So why is a person like me even here before you today? Well, let me tell you a story about Jesus. Some context, I grew up Catholic. Simply put, for me, church was something my family did every Sunday for an hour, and it had almost no bearing on my life. But I was a good person and believed that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. So for me, since I was a good kid, I didn't have much to worry about. What did I have to worry about? But by high school, I started thinking and developed these questions about God, his character, and why if he was good, do you let evil happen? And unfortunately, I never really heard answers to those questions directly from teachers, from priests. And in the end, even after getting confirmed in the church, I came to this conclusion that if God was real, he just didn't really care about humanity or he wasn't real. And the latter made the most sense to me, that there just must not be a God at all. So without God, my high school life really revolved around three things, football and sports, <laughs> hoping to find my high school sweetheart and my friends. However, by the time I graduated, these three most important things in my life totally crumbled. I was never offered a football scholarship. Davidson is a non-scholarship program, for those who don't know. Uh, I never found the girl of my dreams. And my friends just weirdly stopped hanging out with me. And so by the summer, going into my freshman year, I was in the loneliest, darkest place in my entire life. And so that's why I went to college. I vowed I would never feel that way again. And I would do whatever it takes to make sure I would not be in that place. So that fall semester, I did what I thought I needed to do to be cool. And I had went headfirst into the football culture and party scene. But in my heart of hearts, I knew that this wasn't right and this isn't what I wanted. But I just did what I felt like I needed to do so I didn't have to be at that place. However, by a faithful stroke of a pen, I happened to live on a dorm where all of my hallmates, not all of them, I'm exaggerating, but they were Christians. Frankly, I found their beliefs ludicrous, but they were some of the most genuine dudes I had ever met. They actually cared about me as a person and jumped to the end of my freshman year. For some reason, I listened to some of these guys and decided to join this week-long Christian conference during New Year's like week. And while at the conference, I heard the gospel for the first time. I heard the story of how humanity falls short, falls short, doesn't fall short, falls short of the glory of God. And we broke this perfect relationship that we had with him in the garden. And in order for us to be restored and brought back to God, uh, Jesus was the only living person who could do it. He lived the perfect life that no one could died the death we deserved for breaking this relationship. And never forget this, 
he rose again from the dead to give us everlasting life. This was drastically different from the thinking I thought. Good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. And so later on while at this conference, very skeptical but curious, I prayed this prayer. God, I don't know if you're real, but I see this life in these people, these Christians, but they say it's you, Jesus. And so I guess I'll let you into my life. Immediately in that moment, and the only way I can describe it is my soul came alive. I believe God put his Holy Spirit in me and I was freaking out. (laughs) But fortunately I had some friends to help me along the way. And after that conference, I was a totally different person. Uh, I cared more about people. I was less selfish. And I had this beautiful time with a fullness of joy, with deep, authentic relationships where I spiritually flourished. However, since graduating, the reality of walking with God has become a little more weathered and a little more worn. Uh, Honestly, if I'm being straight with you guys, I still struggle with letting God be at the center of my life. I will try my hardest to control and handle all of life's burdens, put it on my back, out of my abilities, and not let God lead. And this has created a bit of a cycle where inevitably I reach my limits. I can't hold on any longer. And when it feels like God has abandoned me and left me dry and kind of empty, like it's a a wilderness, a desert, that this experience with him is hard. And in these darkest moments, I'll cry out to him and say, God, why have you abandoned me? And his response is really simple. Jake, I haven't left you. I will be with you till the very end of the age. And so I've learned (laughs) that when I hear this, I realize what has happened is I've abandoned him. I've said no to God. I want to do my own thing without your input. (sighs) And fortunately, God knows this about me already. And like a good father, he has still given me Jesus, who is the fountain of living water. So I just tell you guys now that in this current wilderness season of my life, I'm trying to rest in those streams of water and just encourage that you guys know that you're not alone if you're feeling that way. But y'all, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. So. Hazard of wearing a mask and a microphone. It falls off when you take one off. Good morning. I'm Michael Flake, one of the pastors here. Great to be together as a church family this morning in the Y and online. Fun to worship together. Jake, thank you for getting us fired off in a great way. Jake is, uh, if memory serves me right, Jake, you've been here since the very beginning. Uh, that's my memory, but we'll, we'll put that in the, we'll check that again. We'll have the historians look into that. Whether you are cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, there is room for you here. This is a safe place to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. We're going to continue today our year-long series of sermons called The Story. We are looking at... You want to borrow that for a minute? Thank you. We are looking at the big picture of the Bible through this series of sermons year-long that we call the story because God has from the beginning of time been writing a great story in this world and he calls you and me to come and find our place in it 
Now, to make the Bible seem a little less big, a little less intimidating, we also have a number of resources available so that you can try to go a little bit deeper in studying the Scripture or just reading it for the first time. So we have videos, we have a reading plan. If you would like your Bible app to read to you, it can be a listening plan. We have a family reading plan. You can find all this on our website or, or, uh, or uh, in our weekly email we send out on Mondays or Tuesdays. It has that week's part of the plan right there. So thus far, in case you're joining us for the first time today, thus far against the backdrop of a beautiful creation marred by rebellion and sin and brokenness, we are watching God's redemptive plan begin to take shape. God is picking up the broken pieces to make a work of art, and he is starting with the broken pieces named Abraham and Sarah, promising that through their family, he will bless the people of every family. God says to them in Genesis 17, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. An everlasting covenant, an everlasting promise of commitment. And this everlasting promise culminated in Jesus the Christ. He was born from the biological family of Abraham and Sarah. Jesus sits at the center of God's plan just as he wants to sit at the center of our lives. So through Jesus, we see that the everlasting covenant, the everlasting promise is between God and all those who come to trust and depend upon him. In other words, not just the biological descendants of Abraham and Sarah, but the spiritual descendants of Abraham and Sarah, those who come to say yes to God. So God is building up a family of faith, and we're in the part of the Bible that's the early days of the building up of that family of faith. The promise is beginning to unfold, so we check back in on God's redemptive plan, and we will see how humans always find a way to mess things up. And yet God is faithful. So Abraham and Sarah have a son named Isaac. That was last week. Isaac and his wife Rebecca have twins named Esau and Jacob, and we are watching God's work from generation to generation to generation. Esau grew up to be an outdoorsman, an impulsive man. Jacob grew up to become something of a mama's boy who was also a schemer, a manipulator. He always had to be in control. Sounds like they could have benefited from some family counseling. Probably could have, but they did not go. And so Jacob schemed Esau out of his inheritance, and then he fled. The family of faith started to rip apart. Jacob remained distant from his family for over a decade. And during that decade away, he built a life of his own. He had a dozen children by multiple women. Sounds like one of those, what is that, Maury episodes? This is in the Bible, though. He had a dozen kids by multiple women. Jacob is an unlikely hero, to say the least. And then after his decade of estrangement, Jacob gets word that his brother Esau is coming towards him with an army. So what does Jacob do? He doesn't run, but he schemes. And so he sets up these waves. His household is going to go and meet Esau in waves, and each wave will have gifts. So Esau will encounter the first wave, get a bunch of gifts. He'll encounter the second wave, get a bunch of gifts. He'll encounter the third wave, get a bunch of gifts. On and on and on. And then at the very last wave is going to be Jacob's children, 
And Jacob will be there standing behind his children. That's Jacob's plan. He is going to hide behind his own children when he meets his estranged brother. He is a manipulator. He stays in control at all costs. He will use his gifts, his wealth, his children to soften his brother's anger. That's the plan. So the night before Jacob is reunited with his estranged brother Esau and Esau's army, everybody goes to sleep, ready to wake up the next morning and do the going waves strategy. Everybody goes to sleep, that is, except Jacob. Jacob cannot sleep. And then the new day dawns, and something seems different. Jacob seems different. Genesis 33 says that Jacob sees Esau and his army of 400 men approaching, and Jacob does not hide behind his family. In fact, Jacob goes out in front of his family and bows down to Esau, and this is what happened. Genesis 33:4. Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And they wept. It's not a scene of family ruin, it's a scene of family reunion. Imagine how powerful that line would have been if I hadn't uh, stuttered on it. Watch it 11, see if I nail it that time. It is not a scene of family ruin, but a family reunion. And Jacob does not scheme, right? In fact, Jacob abandons his manipulation plan. He doesn't try anything tricky. He just walks out to his estranged brother and embraces him. It kind of makes you wonder, what happened to Jacob? And this is the other strange part. Jacob didn't actually just walk out to meet Esau. He actually limped out to meet Esau. Since when does Jacob limp, his family is wondering. What happened to Jacob? And the answer is, in the passage that Billy read for us earlier, the answer is what happened to Jacob in that night right before he met his estranged brother Esau. This passage we look at today is the culmination of Jacob's journey. It is a very defining moment for him. The night before he meets his estranged brother, the night he decides to abandon his scheme. So this morning, I want to ask you, how do you grow spiritually? How do you grow spiritually? You might say, well, you participate in worship, or you go to church, right, whether in the Y or online. You might say, well, you love your neighbor. You read the Bible. You get in a community group. You serve regularly. You help those who are in poverty. You give proactively to God's work. You pray. Those are all great answers. This morning, I want to add one more answer. How do you grow spiritually? You struggle. You struggle. You wrestle with God. You struggle with God. Sometimes late at night when nobody else knows. Your struggles, my struggles, with doubt, with big questions, with loneliness, with sobriety, with your past, with your future, with lies you've believed about yourself, lies you've believed about others. This struggle, this wrestling is not in vain. 
Because on the night before Jacob met his estranged brother Esau, out of nowhere, this defining moment happened for him. Genesis 32, verse 24. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Now, as a little kid, I was thrilled to learn that there was wrestling in the Bible. Because if my brother and I got a little bit overzealous, we could say, but mom, it's in the Bible. So Jacob has already sent his family ahead as part of the manipulation plan, and he's left all alone in the darkness. He cannot sleep, and a man grabs him. What is Jacob thinking? Probably this is Esau coming to kill me under the cover of night. But he realizes it's not Esau. Jacob and the man struggle all night long, and Jacob holds his own. Now, who is this man? Is it Hulk Hogan? Is it John Cena? Is it Cody Rhodes? Is it the claw? Trying to get generational spread here in my answers. Bruiser Brody. Well, there have been libraries written on this topic. And none of those people have ever been guessed, I'm sorry to say. I think the best answer is that it's an angel. Because if you look later in the Old Testament, the prophet Hosea actually identifies it as an angel. Now, there's other takes on what he means when he says it's an angel, but let's just go with it's an angel. We're not talking about a little wimpy-looking angel here. An angel means a messenger. That's what an angel literally means, messenger, God's messenger. So when you see an angel in the Bible, it means they are God's messenger. They have been sent to give a message from God. So this mysterious visitor who wrestled with Jacob all night was supposed to give him a message from God. And as they wrestled all night, neither able to defeat the other one, this is when you know it's not just an ordinary man, this mysterious visitor touches Jacob's hip socket and injures it beyond repair. So this mysterious visitor has a power that we cannot fathom. As the night wears on, Jacob does not know the exact identity of of his opponent from parts unknown. He never learns the exact identity of his opponent. But he realizes, Jacob realizes, he is ultimately wrestling with God. He wrestles with the unknown. He sees God face to face. In the act of struggle, he saw God face to face. In the act of struggle, we see God face to face. Because we can imagine a world where we don't have to face this struggle. Jesus taught this in Matthew chapter 10. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. If God is so concerned about dying sparrows, then why am I struggling like this? Why am I having to wrestle with the unknown late at night? Is not all struggle at some level struggle with God? Why am I going through this? As Jacob articulated so well, have you abandoned me, God? 
But remember that the struggle, the wrestling is not in vain because at some point the new day dawns and the match is over and God's message is clear. By God's grace, even the hardest things in our lives are not for our ruin. By God's grace, God turns them for our good. God so loves the world. God so loves you. And God desires to be with his people even in the struggles that we face. Wrestling and struggle is when Jacob was closest to God. I'll say it again. Wrestling and struggle is when Jacob was closest to God. The night of hardship did not push Jacob away from God. It pushed Jacob towards God. It was, in a good way, a defining moment for him. Because through this match, this wrestling, this struggle, God sent him a message loud and clear as his beloved child. What is that transformative message? Two points. The transformative message that God sent to Jacob through this night of wrestling, and maybe a transformative message he wants to send to you and me. Are we ready? Number one, number one, number, 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 number. Jacob's, Jagad's transformative message to Jacob. Number one, you are not who you think you are. You are not who you think you are. Verse 26, Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. So God transforms our identity in the midst of our struggles with him. Because these guys, are st- they're long into the match now. They're trying to get each other in the scorpion death lock. And in the midst of that, Jacob's... I had to do some research for this sermon now. And in the midst of... Wikipedia has a lot of good information about professional wrestling, in case you were wondering. In the midst of the match, though, Jacob's very identity becomes changed. God's messenger says, Jacob, you are now Israel. You are no longer a manipulator. That's what Jacob means. You are an overcomer. That's what Israel means. You are no longer a manipulator. You are an overcomer. You are no longer Jacob. You are Israel. Your life is not chiefly about control. It is chiefly about who I say you are. And I say you are an overcomer. So in the midst of our defining moments, God blesses us by transforming our very identity. In the midst of the struggle, God says, you are no longer insecure, you are going to become secure in my love. You are no longer wandering without a purpose, I'm going to give you a new purpose. You are no longer trying to earn my love, you're going to realize how deeply I already love you. So I don't know what it is that you hold a little too dear, whether it's appearance or perfection or a relationship, achievement, your uniqueness, your work, your intellect or pleasure or control or money or time. I don't know what it is you hold a little too dear, but I do know that in our wrestlings with God and our struggles, our identities get a little less tied up in those things and a little more tied up in God. You are not who you think you are was the one of the two primary messages that this messenger came to give Jacob. And I think God comes to give us in our struggles, in our wrestling, even late at night when nobody else knows. 
Jacob's or God's transformative message to Jacob. Number two, number two, number number, finally, number two. Go from this place humbled and emboldened. Go from this place humbled and emboldened. So in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the wrestling, the, God is teaching Jacob, you are not who you think you are. And as you leave this wrestling, as you leave this struggle, be humbled and be emboldened. Those verses say this, there, then he blessed Jacob there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Go from this place humbled and emboldened. God, J Jacob left his defining moment humbled and emboldened. He was blessed even while he limped. He left the match, the struggle with God, blessed and with a limp. And the blessing did not come for him nearly as easily as the limp. When we encounter God, when we struggle, when we have late night wrestling, God often uproots some things that we have made idols. God often confronts patterns of behavior that have hurt the people around us, like how Jacob's need for control had done. As God does this, He changes us in ways we cannot undo, but in that transformation, He's making us new. The sun rose and Jacob abandoned his manipulation plan because, after all, God said he was an overcomer. And Jacob believed he was who God said he was. So he limped out in front of his family, met his estranged brother face to face. Esau embraced him, kissed him, forgave him for the damage he had caused in the past. Jacob, or should we now say Israel, this is where Israel comes from in the Bible. It's this guy who got his name changed late at night when nobody else was there. Left this struggle with God emboldened and humbled, blessed and limping. And at some point, he told somebody why he limped. Because only he and the guy were there when it happened. The power is not simply in the late night wrestling. The power is also in the telling of what's happening. Jacob learns here in Genesis 32, I believe God is trying to teach us here in Genesis 32, that we cannot be both invulnerable and transformed. We cannot be both invulnerable and transformed. Jacob left Peniel. He left the place of the wrestling. He was humbled by what had happened there, but he was emboldened to tell the story of the transformative work of God, of his own spiritual growth that came through struggle because God was with him through it all. I don't know about you, but I guess I, aren't we tempted to leave our stories of struggle in the shadows? Do you imagine Jacob was tempted to leave his story of struggle in the shadows? After all, nobody else would have known, except that he limped. I guess he could have said, I slept funny on a root last night. But at some point, he was willing to say why. I understand the question, why do you limp, can be an uncomfortable one. But, but here's, the, here's the truth. I know that you limp. You know that I limp. It's far more obvious to you than it is to me, right? 
We prefer questions like, what do you like to order at the Taco Bell? Or the, the kindred. I'm trying to substitute random references from talking about a kindred, so I get kindred gift cards. We prefer those sort of uh, surface-level questions, and there's nothing wrong with surface-level questions. But at some point, we need to go a little bit deeper into the actual things that have shaped our lives, the late-night wrestling, the late-night struggle. We cannot be both invulnerable and transformed. And in our church family, we value the ability to reveal brokenness without rejection, to make room for God's healing. We know you can't keep God and trusted friends at arm's length. You have to invite God and trusted friends into what's really going on in our lives if we desire to be transformed. As a follower of Jesus, or if today or in the future you become a follower of Jesus, there is no shame in being honest about your struggles. In fact, there's great freedom in being honest about your struggles. Jacob was not the last person to wrestle with God late at night. In fact, he's not even the, the most noteworthy person who wrestled with God late at night. Centuries later, on the night before he would die on a cross, Jesus couldn't sleep. He stayed up all night struggling with God. And in the morning, he would not walk out to be reconciled with his brother. He would walk out to his sacrificial death on our behalf, which would reconcile all of us to God. Make room in God's family for you and for me and for everyone who would come to trust and depend upon Jesus. That reconciliation is real. And so was the struggle on the night before. The reconciliation is real, as was the struggle. And yet, this is not a struggle that we hide. Christians are not embarrassed to the fact that Jesus struggled with his heavenly Father. In fact, we put it in the Bible multiple times. In fact, we named churches after it. One of our favorite churches in the world, Pastor Flowers was here to preach not too long ago, is called Gethsemane. The place where Jesus struggled with God all night was the Garden of Gethsemane. We're not ashamed of his struggle. In fact, we name churches after it. You don't have to be ashamed of your struggle. It is okay to wrestle with God. It is okay to struggle with God. It might just be a defining moment for you. My question for all of us as we wrap up this part of God's story is, what does Jacob's defining moment with God teach you about a defining moment that you have had or you're in right now? What does Jacob's defining moment with God teach you about a defining moment you have had or that you're in right now? We have to decide if our struggles, if our wrestling with God will push us further from God or closer to God. Will it push us further from the family of faith or closer to the family of faith? Now, Jacob is an unlikely hero to say the least, but for all his shortcomings, his struggle with God redefined his life by pushing him closer to God and pushing him closer to his family of faith. Through all of that, he was transformed. The arms of this church, and more importantly, the arms of the Lord Jesus, are always open wide to receive you, even in your struggles. Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray 
a chance to talk to God, to listen to God about whatever He's stirring up in your heart or in your mind. Just take a quiet moment for personal prayer. Lord, I thank you that you are the God who blesses us, even as we limp. I thank you that you are with us in the struggles that we face. You desire to be with your people, and not just on the easy days. I thank you, Lord, how you demonstrated to us in the Garden of Gethsemane that the struggle is real, but it is part of a bigger picture. So Lord, I pray for each of us here in this church family, each person worshiping today, that our struggles will push us closer to you and push us closer to this or some family of faith. That our struggles will convince us we cannot walk alone and we cannot walk on our own power. And that we will walk into the open arms of you. Lord, for those of us who already follow you, that we will come to rest even more deeply in the identity that you've given us and in the things you have both humbled us and emboldened us to be about in this world. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we would love to pray for you today. Please let us know how in the gym you can submit prayer requests in the basket on the way out the door. Online, you can submit prayers at DavidsonPrayer at lakeforest.org. If you have any tither offering to give online, that's at lakeforest.org slash give. And in the gym, on your, in the wicker basket on the way out the door. Let's continue in our worship together.